they don't they don't just get your foot tapping. They they get your your mind thinking, your soul stirred. And uh, I'm thankful for God using men and women over the years to write good hymns. And we thank the Lord for it. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you will, uh, to Second Kings chapter two. Second Kings chapter two. Second Kings chapter two is the story, or the account, if you will, of God taking Elijah, who had been a mighty prophet for him. And leaving behind Elisha, who had been a follower and a student, um, a servant too, has been kind of the right-hand man to Elijah. And uh, we read here in Second Kings the account of this. In verse 1, <clears throat> the Bible says in verse, chapter 2, And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha, and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here while I... I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were in Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither 
And Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Father, we come to you once again. We ask for the next few moments to help us rightly understand this passage. And Lord, that it would be something that would stir us afresh and new in our hearts. Cold hearts have become cold and indifferent, perhaps have become callous. I pray that you would ignite a fire in them today. Do a transforming work through the preaching of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, convicting our hearts. And Father, may we respond appropriately today. May we come to you with a yielded life and a yielded heart, ready to be obedient to you. Help us today as we come to this passage. May you do the work that you long to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the great desires of the soul of a Christian is to seek after God. In fact, I would say it this way, that I believe that one of the great desires of the soul of man is to seek God. It's interesting that even those who have never heard the gospel message in lands and uh, places of our world that have never been touched by the gospel message, when you uh, finally have someone that gets into that location and sees their culture, you'll find that in all of their cultures there is a desire to seek a God. There is some desire for them to seek after a higher being than themselves. And God has put in the nature of man the desire to seek after Him. After we're saved, we understand that desire more and more clearly. We understand who it is and our desire to seek for God Himself as He reveals Himself through His Word and as He teaches us and instructs us through the understanding that His Holy Spirit gives to us. We seek for Him and it ought to be one of the great desires of our heart. Uh, there are so many times I fear I've been in, in uh, situations, I've been uh, in places, I've called friends of mine sometimes after they had a revival meeting that I was praying for, perhaps in another part of the country, and I've heard them make statements like this, well, God showed up last night, uh, or I've been to a camp meeting or a revival meeting, and they get up in the service and they say, boy, we just hope God shows up tonight. I, I will say a couple things, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying, uh, the Bible teaches us that, that the church, the local church, is the vessel, it's the being, it's the entity, it's the process that God uses to accomplish His work in the world today. The church is who He has entrusted uh, with the precious message of the gospel to propagate it to a lost and a dying world. And so we oftentimes will build a facility, and we have one here, we have a church uh, we call Keith the Heights Baptist Church, and some people will call it, uh, well, that's the house of God. And, and I think rightly so. In fact, uh, Jesus said that his house ought to be a house of prayer. And I, But I will say this, that the presence of God showing up is not dependent upon a facility. It's not dependent upon a building. And I would go so far as to say this, it's not dependent upon a location. I've heard people say, well, pastor, if you just pack up a bunch of church members and go over here to this place, God's just all over that place. Can I tell you this, that God's presence in a particular place is not dependent upon the place. 
This is just a bunch of drywall and, and wood and concrete and carpet and, and, and electrical things. God is not interested in those things. What God is interested in is the souls of men. And when we want the presence of God to show up, it's not because the building has something special about it. It's because the people that come into that building have something going in their hearts. The Bible teaches us that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in us, which we have of God. We are not our own. And if we're lacking the presence of God in a particular service or a particular set of meeting, don't blame it on the church building. Don't blame it on the location. But the, the presence of God ought to walk through those doors as every individual person comes into this place. Having every person spending time with the Lord before they ever walk through those doors, saying, Lord, we're getting ready to come to a meeting, and we want your presence to be very real in our hearts. Would you check my heart? Make sure there's no hindrances there. Make sure there's nothing that quenches your Holy Spirit. Make sure my life is in such order that there is nothing that would bring a reproach to your name. And I'm coming into this meeting hungering and thirsting for the truth of your word. You come into a place like that and you get everybody in that place to have that kind of a heart and that kind of a spirit and that kind of a hunger and thirst for God to, sh- to do a great work in that meeting. It's not because of the location. It's not because of the building. His presence is more important than the building. Him coming with His people is more important than that house. I would say this, reading our Bible is an important thing. The Bible teaches us that He has exalted His Word above His very name. There's no doubt that reading God's Word is of might, might and importance in our lives. But if we do it out of routine and out of habit, and we do not seek for God's presence as we read the Scriptures, uh, even though it may feed us and even though it may nourish us in some ways, if God Himself is not presence, present in the reading of His Scripture, if we're not seeing His presence in the things that we read and, and in communing with Him as we read His Word, then the reading of the Word of God uh, we gain very little from in those situations. It's by God's presence being there. It's by the Holy Spirit working through His grace in our hearts as we read the Word that does its transforming work. So far, many times in the day we live, we are content with saying, well, we hope that God will be in that meeting, or God will be with that particular preacher as He preaches. Can I tell you this? Whether or not the presence of God is real in a meeting is not even really dependent upon the preacher. Oh, He's part of the equation just like any other person in that meeting. But oh, that the presence of God would come in with hearts that are yielded completely to Him, saying, Lord, I must have You or I die. I must have Your presence. If we do not find Him, if we do not find Christ as we come to Scripture, if we're not looking for His presence in the Word, then we have found very little at best. Whether it be in prayer in times of worshiping and singing from our hearts, until we have found the God of the prayer and the God of the worship, we have accomplished very little. Elisha is is getting ready to lose a man that God has used mightily. 
There's some things that God did in Elijah's life. That Elisha looked at and he longed for them. He kept Elijah faithful when the rest of the entire nation was turning aside. Hold your place here for a minute. We're going to turn back to 1 Kings, just one book earlier. Keep your finger here. We're going to come back to this passage and look at several things from it. In 1 Kings chapter number 19, I want you to notice this. 1 Kings chapter number 19, just back a few pages. <coughs> verse number 10. 1 Kings 19 and verse number 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. This is Elijah speaking, by the way. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy commandment, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and a strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And God gives Elijah some instruction. I want you to notice a couple of things here that are known in this passage, and that is this. There were certain things that came about that were spectacular events. The strong wind, the earthquake, and I will say that the Lord was not in these things that seemed to be something mighty and something powerful. But it was the still small voice that brought God's presence. And it sustained Elijah. And while we know that when Elijah said these things that God had other prophets that he had kept protected, we know that from other passages of Scripture that there were several hundred prophets who had not bowed the knee to Baal. But know that Elijah at least felt this way. Elijah felt that he alone was the prophet of God, that there was no one else out there. And it was the presence of God that told Elijah, get up and I've got a job for you to do. And what did Elijah do? He obeyed God. The Lord God of Elijah is such a God that even when it seems like you're all alone doing the work of the Lord, He enables you and He strengthens you and helps you to be steadfast in the way. We kept Him faithful when everyone else seemed to be turning aside. This Lord God of Elijah answered his prayers with power. Once again, turn to 1 Kings chapter number 18, just back another chapter from where we were. First Kings chapter number 18. The story of Elijah challenging. He came to Ahab and he challenged the prophets of Baal. 
hundreds of them. And he said, listen, one of, the, one of us has got to win today. Either, either God is the God of Israel or Baal is the God of Israel. One of these is going to be the true God, and you need to choose this day whom you're going to serve. He said, here's the test. We're going to each build an altar. We're going to each put the wood on the altar and put the sacrifice on the altar. And then we're each going to pray to our God. And the God that answers by fire, He's the one that's going to be the true God. And so they agreed to this. The prophets of Baal, as you recall and remember, spent most of the day dancing upon the altar and calling aloud and doing all that they could. They cut themselves, the Bible said, and the blood flowed from their wounds upon the altar as they cried out. And Baal continued to not answer because, of course, there was no Baal. They spent most of the day doing this. And as it became Elijah's turn in verse number 32, if you'll look there with me. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar and filled the trench also with the water. And it came to pass... At the time of the offering. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. Out back, we have some brush I've been trying to burn for two weeks. Every time I go to burn it, it rains the night before. Jonathan and I were out there last night trying to get it burnt and get it cleaned up. We got a little fire going on it, but because it had rained the night before and it gotten that wood wet, it wouldn't light worth anything. It just wouldn't light at all. Couldn't get it to light. We even got a light, a good fire going under it with some other stuff. And because it was wet, it would not burn. I think we all understand this fact and know this fact, don't we? It's not, it's not a mystery to us. The water runs about the altar in verse number 35. He filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, and I want you to notice how long Elijah prays. These men have been at it all day, hundreds of them. They've been dancing and calling out and gyrating and, and cutting themselves. And here's what I here's what uh, Elijah says, and said in the middle of verse number thirty six, <clears throat> Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant, and that I have done all these things at Thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. That's it. A simple prayer. There's three things I think that he points out here and I think are very vitally important in the Christian's life. First of all, his desire to see God magnified. Notice in his prayer, he says, Let it be known this day that Thou art God. In Israel, He doesn't say a God. He doesn't say one of the gods. What he's saying is, Lord, make it abundantly clear to Israel that you alone are their God. 
He exalts God. He lifts Him up. He gives Him His proper place. And then notice He says this, And that I am thy, what's the next word here? Servant. He didn't come out and try to get accolades and try to get uh, 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 the people to laud over Him and lift Him up. He didn't come and say that I am a mighty prophet or that I am a mighty uh, preacher. He said, Lord, just let them know that I am your servant. I am your servant. And thirdly, he said, Lord, I want them to know that everything that I have done has been at thy word. Elijah was not in it to get glory for himself. Elijah was not saying, I need a stadium full of thousands of people so they can watch me as I call down God's power and might. So they can build me up and I can be well known. That I can write books that get on the New York Times bestseller list. And I can have jets that fly me all over the world to, to meetings and, and how people will seek after me. No, no. Elijah said, I want the people to know that everything I've done, I've done because you've told me to do it. He said, Lord, I only want these three things to be known. Now notice what verse number 38 says. Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice. And the wood, and the stones, the dust. And look at this. Licked up the water. That was in the trench. Can I tell you this? God answered Elijah's prayers in such a way that there was left no doubt that God did it. Elijah's prayer, I think, had the right motivation behind it. Lord, I want you exalted. I want people to know I've just done this because I'm your servant. I'm only doing what you've asked me to do by your word. And God left no doubt. He did it in such a forceful way, such a mighty way. If fire had come and consumed the sacrifice, it would have been enough. But oh, to prove the might and the power of God. In verse number 39, the Bible says, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And I asked the question that Elisha asked. Where is this Lord God? Where is the God of Elijah? In the day that you and I live, why is it that people don't look at our lives? Why is it that they don't see God moving in a mighty way in our lives? That they see it and say, the Lord, He is God. Is the Lord slack? Has He lost His might? Has He lost His power? We're living in a day, we're living in a time where if there's ever a time people need to see God as being the Lord God. It's the day we live in. And we as God's people, I think, ought to pray such as Elisha did. Lord, where is the Lord God of Elijah? We need Your might. We need Your power. Look over at 2 Kings chapter 1 for a moment. Just back a chapter from where we're reading <coughs> our text. 
In verse number 1, it says, Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell down through the lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a god in Israel that ye go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. Notice he didn't come to the king, he went to the servants. And when the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? And they said unto him, There came a man up to meet us, and said unto us, Go turn again unto the king that sent you, and say to him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was a hairy man, and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. I like the fact that Elijah is described as a a manly man here. He's not lighting his loafers. He's a man that's got hair, he's got a leather girdle on, and he speaks what the Lord tells him to speak with boldness and with power and with might. Verse 9, the king sent unto him a captain of fifty with his fifty. And he went up to him, and behold, he sat on top of an hill. And he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. You almost hear the arrogance in his voice. Look what Elijah does. Verse number 10, And Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Also, again, he sent unto him another captain of fifty with his fifty and answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. And you almost hear the arrogance and the might and the authority in the voice. And Elijah answered and said unto him, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. He sent again a captain of the third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up, notice this, and came and fell on his knees before Elijah. Boy, I'll tell you what, if I was that third captain, you better believe I'd be doing the same thing. And besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, no longer the king's authority, now seeking after God. O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these fifty thy servants, thy servants, not the king's, be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came fire from heaven, down from heaven, and burnt up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down uh, with him, and be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. 
Can I tell you this? The God of Elijah is a God that answered with might and with power the prayers of Elijah. Where are the powerful prayer warriors of this day and age? Where are those that would say, Lord, I only want what you want done. And whatever it is you tell me to do, I will be obedient to it. And as I pray, Lord, I long for you to answer these prayers with might and with power. For I want people to see that there is a God. Not only is there a God, but you are the one true God. And that I am your servant. And that I have done these things at thy bidding. This God of Elijah that Elisha said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He's a God that gave Elijah the strength to remain faithful when all the rest of the nation was turning aside. He's a God that answered by fire, by might, and with power. I would say this, He's a God that provided for Elijah during the time of famine. If you know the story, God fed Elijah with birds that would bring him food each day. There are those that would consume Elijah, that would take his life from him. Those that did everything they could to destroy him. And God God sheltered him in the time of that. God provided for him. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Oh, that we would learn to depend upon the Lord God of Elijah for the things that we need. And then I want you to notice that the Lord God of Elijah took Elijah in a chariot of fire. Oh, what a way to go. I'll tell you this. I'm looking for the rapture. I think that's going to be pretty amazing. He didn't take, I'm sorry. He didn't take him in a chariot of fire. He took him by a whirlwind. Excuse me. What a way to go. I, I'm looking forward to uh, the rapture. I think that's going to be a wonderful thing. I, I hope I get to experience that. If he takes me by death, that's great too. But could you imagine this? Here's Elisha standing there watching, and the, the chariot of fire comes down, and it separates them. It causes them to, to be separated from each other. And then God sends a whirlwind down, and he picks up Elijah and says, Okay, Elijah, it's time to come up. He didn't have to go by way of death. He went by a whirlwind. What an experience. I'm thankful that the Lord God of Elijah is one that provides a way for us to be with the Lord for eternity. In John chapter number 14, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
the Lord God of Elijah makes a way. And Elisha said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Our first and our last desire ought to be to seek for this God of Elijah in the work that we do for him. Elijah had told Elisha, he said, if you see me when I go, I want you to notice, let's, let's go to verse 9 of chapter 2 for a moment. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9. I want you to notice this. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. By the way, Elisha knew. In fact, he knew before he was ever told. Because when the, 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 the prophets told him and said, when they came to that very first city, they told him and said, you realize that, that Elijah is going to be taken away from your head today? He said, yes, I know. God had let Elisha know. And he says, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And I've always been puzzled by verse number 10. And I think, I think there's something there to be gained as we look a little bit closer at it. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. I've always puzzled by that. I thought, Lord, if you can empower uh, Elijah, and, and it's no drain of you, there's no lack of resources from you to be able to do that, why would Elijah say this is a hard thing? Lord, if you can empower uh, the, 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 the people that you've done miracles through, and it doesn't even put a drain on your resources or your might or your power, why would Elijah say this is a hard thing? Notice what he says here. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. They went on. Elisha is still with Elijah. God takes Elijah, and in the course of taking him, his mantle falls. Elisha comes over, and the Bible says in verse number 12, he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two paces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And here is the momentous occasion that I believe Elijah was speaking of when he said, this is a hard thing. The Bible says, and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters. In reading this over the years, I always thought well, there was some residual power left in that mantle from Elijah's spirit. And when Elijah picked it, or Elisha picked it up and smote the waters, the power that God had put on that mantle parted the waters. Can I tell you this? That mantle had nothing to do with the power that parted the waters. It was what Elijah says that made the difference. And said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? In that statement, Elisha is recognizing the fact that that the mantle did not hold God's power. 
the man of God held God's power. I've watched over the years, I've been in colleges over the years that even taught some of these things in error. And I've watched as churches that outwardly are seemingly successful begin to say to other churches, if you'll do this and this and this and this, God will bless and your church will grow. Can I tell you, it has nothing to do with those things. It's not about the promotion. It's not, a, it's not about, folks, it's not about dropping candy out of a helicopter to get somebody to come to church. Where's God's presence? Where's His might? Where's His power? In Haggai, chapter number 2, in chapter 1, Haggai comes to the people of Israel and he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You go and you do all these things. You dwell in your sealed houses. You earn wages. And you only earn wages to put them into a bag of holes. It seems like everything you do, you're working and laboring. You're not seeing the prospering hand of God. It's because you've run every man to your own house and his house lies waste. (coughs) He tells them in chapter 1, Go up to the mountain and get wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it. And in chapter 2, they begin to build this house, <coughs> this temple of the Holy uh, of, of, of God. It is in replacement of Solomon's temple that had been destroyed, this gorgeous, beautiful, ornate temple that Solomon built. Nothing like it ever since. They build the second temple, and the temple that they build the second time is nothing in this glory like Solomon's temple. And some of the old timers, some of the men that remembered Solomon's temple were laughing and being scoffers and ridiculing and, and, and mocking the efforts of those that were building a temple to the Lord. And, and, and they were saying it's nothing like Solomon's temple. And God, by the way of Haggai the prophet, comes to him and says, don't, don't listen to him. Don't worry about it. You go ahead and you keep building the temple. And he said, when the temple's done, he said, I will fill this temple with my glory. And the glory of this second temple will far exceed the glory of the first one. Not because of its ornate tapestries and and the gold inlays, but because God's presence was there. You want to see a church do a mighty work for God you get the people in those churches to lay their, open their hearts bare to God and say, Lord, here's my heart. Take it and use it. You have all of it. I want this Lord God of Elijah. I want His work and His power in my life. And when I walk through the doors of this church, I wonder if I bring His presence with me or if I left Him somewhere. You say, Pastor, is that even possible? The Bible tells us we can certainly quench. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In Revelation chapter 3, speaking to a church, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why should God ever have to knock on the door of a church? Or even the heart's door of a believer. His presence ought to be there. We need to desire God's presence in His work. 
whatever work we're doing, we need to ask for His presence. It's not enough that Elisha had the mantle of Elijah. It's not enough. It's not going to do the work. It's not enough that Elisha was his student and studied under Elijah's ministry for years. That's not enough. It's not enough that Elisha was faithful in his, and even when he was told by Elijah to, to depart because he was going to another city, Elisha said, no, I'm not going to leave you. And he was by his side to the very end. And his faithfulness, his loyalty, his, his studiousness and learning at the feet of Elijah and holding Elijah's very mantle in his hand was not enough. For Elisha to have the double portion took God's presence. That's what Elijah was referring to when he says this is a hard thing. Why? Because our old flesh nature has a tendency to depart from this presence of God. And to keep ourselves in His presence constantly. To have our lives fully, fully yielded to Him. To have our lives absolutely in humble obedience to Him. That's the hard thing. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Elijah, I want a double, double portion of your spirit. Elisha, I don't know if you know what you're asking for. That's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. We need to seek and desire for God to be present in doing His work. We need to seek for God to be present during times of great difficulty. Hudson Taylor was a missionary. In fact, he was instrumental in starting the opening up China to missions. Had gone to China. He had labored for many years and with very, very hard opposition and very little fruit. Hudson Taylor struggled, if you ever take time to read his biography, he struggled with the failure, his seeming failure in his labors. Many nights was despondent and wrote in his journal of his despondency. His own personal life and his own personal walk with God, he he was dejected in it and realized his frailty and how much he sinned, even though he didn't want to. And, and, and the, the holy life that he longed for that it seemed like he never, <coughs> never could get victory in. One day he sat down to write a letter to his sister. I want to read to you a portion of this letter. I want you to listen carefully to what he says. He says, When my agony of soul was at its height. A sentence in a letter from dear McCarthy was used to remove the scales from my eyes. And the Spirit of God revealed the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I had never known it before. McCarthy, who had been much exercised by the same sense of failure, but saw the light before I did, wrote, and I quote, But how to get faith strengthened? Not by striving after faith. But by resting on the faithful one. You ever been there? You ever wondered, Lord, 
I'm a man of faith, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Help my, I don't know what to do. My faith seems lacking and I just don't know what to do. McCarthy made this statement. It's not for striving after faith. And I fear that's what we often do. But it's in resting in the faithful one. I thought of that phrase often over the last 15 or so years since I first read it. I thought, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 3 that He is the author and the finisher of our faith. My faith doesn't grow because I labor to get more faith. My faith grows when I let go of things and say, Lord, I'm going to trust You. That's when my faith grows. That's when I allow resting in the faithful one. He says, he writes to his sister, it is a wonderful thing to be really one with a risen and exalted Savior. To be a member of Christ, think what it all involves. Can Christ be rich and I poor? Can your right hand be rich and your left poor? Or your head be well fed and your body starves? The sweetest part, if one may speak of one part being sweeter than another, is the rest which full identification with Christ brings. I am no longer anxious about anything. As I realize this, for He, I know, is able to carry out His will, and His will is mine. It makes no matter where He places me or how, that is rather for Him to consider than for me. For in the easiest position, He must give me His grace. And in the most difficult, His grace is sufficient. It little matters to this servant whether I send him to buy a few... cash worth of things or the most expensive articles. In either case... He looks to me for the money and brings me his purchases. So if God places me in great perplexity, must he not give me much guidance? In positions of great difficulty, much grace. In circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength. No fear that his resources will be unequal to the emergency. And his resources are mine. For He is mine, and is with me, and dwells in me. All this springs from the believer's oneness with Christ. And since Christ hath thus dwelt in my heart by faith, how happy I have been. There is no difficulty that when we give it to God, He cannot work out for our good. So in times of great difficulty, I must cry out as Elijah, Elisha did. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? In times of his work, in times of great difficulty, and lastly I would say this, in times of great temptation. In times of great temptation, I must seek his presence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this will be our last verse if you'll turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
verse number 13. Paul writes this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Do we seek Him in laboring for Him? Do we seek His might and His power in the work that He's called us to do? Where is the Lord God of Elijah in great difficulty, in great trials of life? When I get dejected and despondent and wonder, does Jesus care? I love what the songwriter wrote, oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Jesus cares. Why? Because I have the Lord God of Elijah with me. And in times of great temptation, we need to seek His presence. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we pray that You will bless the teaching of Your Word. May it be something that helps us. Lord, I know that oftentimes I flounder.